We're so pleased you've chosen to follow our Adopted podcast. At Mayor, we believe the best way to help introduce the process of adoption from foster care is through education, hence our cutesy little title of Adopt Ed. Today's theme is demystifying adoption. In our podcast today, we'll be talking about the journey for adoptive parents. We'll also have a visit later in the show from our friends at Jordan's Furniture. Without further ado, I'm so excited to kick off the show with our opening segment called At the Table. Joining me at the table today is my co-host and Director of Family Support Services for Mayor, Diane Tomaz. Welcome, Diane. Thanks, Joe. So, Diane, in past shows, we talked about how folks can learn about adoption and what the process is like, sort of at a high level. We're working our way through this. We're progressively, as time goes on, kind of teaching people what, what all of this is about. And so I think today we should explore the step-by-step process for a family who chooses to adopt. And then we can talk about a family's level of search engagement, you know, the kind of effort they put in, how they're going to engage in in matching with a child. Um, And so, you know, the different ways in which a child um, can be connected to a family once they're home studied. But I think before we do that, why don't we take a minute and get to know you. In earlier episodes, Mo and I did talk about um, our experiences as adoptive parents. I introduced you as an adoptive parent at that time. And you know, talked about your role, but you're an adoptive parent. Tell me, what was your journey like? Can you share your story with us? Sure. My spouse and I have two boys, um, unrelated, but they were both adopted as infants. So our oldest, who is now 12, was just six weeks old. Oh my gosh. And we got the call. Yeah. Just a little baby. He was, and it was very much an emergency placement. So it was about two o'clock in the afternoon, and we needed to drive down to the DCF office um, and pick him up by five o'clock. Oh my gosh. <laughs> did you start Did you start out by saying you wanted a baby? Yes. We had said we were open to kids zero to two. This was our first time parenting. Okay. Um, we wanted that experience. and But because we didn't have kids, we also were in a position to be able to More take open. an emergency sure. placement. Sure. Yeah. And we were both teachers at the time. Um, I obviously now work for Mayor, but right. I was also a teacher. So we had the summer off. Oh, so it was perfect. Exactly. All the stars were in alignment. <laughs> we had just come back from our honeymoon. Oh. Mm-hmm. And a new baby. Right. What, I mean, what else do you do? Right. So we went and picked him up. And um, it was a legal risk situation, but it actually ended up being pretty straightforward. Um, okay. Mom, birth mom came to one supervised visit and then um, did not come for any other subsequent meetings after that um and birth dad wasn't in the picture so things kind of moved ahead and you know progressed pretty pretty straightforward way and then with our second guy he is now 10 he was 13 months old when he moved in yep still a little guy we had a little itty bitties um his story was was different he has a congenital heart defect mm-hmm. so he had been living with this fantastic foster mom who was um really good at taking care of medically involved kids she had okay. a bit of a nursing background um and she was just really invested she'd been doing it for over 20 years that makes sense i mean we meet so many of these people as we're out and about you know mm-hmm. especially medical professionals nurses you know doctors people who just have such an investment in these in these youth right yeah and so with the congenital heart defect obviously was a, a perfect pairing so you met mm-hmm. you met while he was with 
um, this family. Yes. While he was living with her, um, she opened her home and her heart to us. I mean, I tell everyone about her. Um, I think just to, to counter the negative stories we hear about foster families because right. she's just such a wonderful person. And I know there are lots of wonderful foster families out there. Oh, my gosh. And she was just such a wealth of knowledge. She knew everything about him because he'd been with her since birth and he's now 13 months old at this time and um she answered all of our questions well, I was gonna say, uh, and were, were you scared yeah right because that's Absolutely. that's heavy mm-hmm. right here we are we're looking for another child we're willing to open our hearts and our home to another child and yep. oh okay well medical needs of you know extreme proportions at this point so yeah so she was good about helping you understand what it all meant she was and i like to tell people you know i think every everyone has this assumption that you need to be some sort of special person to take in kids with physical special needs um and that's not true you know we were no more informed about the congenital heart defect than anyone else right um but we were open to it we knew that we're fortunate enough to live near boston children's hospital um so he's going to get terrific care and then we had as i said this great foster mom who um was just holding our hands through this process essentially and um and then he had um his birth dad was still very much involved okay um he he actually at that point um had decided he was not able to parent but he wanted to be a part of our son's life and so it's worked out really nicely we have an open adoption agreement we get together several times a year um that's great yeah i mean it's been it's been nine years now so it definitely has evolved over time but now it feels much more natural and really like we're extended family members that's really great when that works like that and and even the medical management piece i mean if if i may be so bold as to share just a little bit that that Mm -hmm. i know about you managing it it's just become routine for you you it's like any other visit right like any other you know that at a certain time of year you're going to go visit a particular doc and you are going to do your checkups and you know you stay on top of it but it's not um something that that i think people might initially think of uh, more extreme medical needs and and feel panicked yes right Um, but you guys just did this very organically and it's just it's part of your life it's part of what you manage and i should also mention we are fortunate as adoptive parents to not have the financial strain of having a child with a any sort of um ongoing medical issue because mass health has covered every bit of that right which Right, which they do for children in foster care, pre-adoptive yep. children, and then in the subsidy that follows children mm-hmm. post-adoption, uh, that mass health is in place, and it's huge. You know, I, I sh- shared part of my story. I've dealt with a lot of um, intellectual disability and some mm-hmm. mental health needs, and um, I, I would share the same thing. Mass health right. has been fantastic, and uh, and that's another piece that I think people don't always think about. You know, we we did demystify a little bit about, and we'll be talking shortly about different kinds of adoptions. Mm-hmm. Um, but here in the state of Massachusetts, you know, one thing that that follows along with the kiddos is the Mass Health, and that's that's a big piece. Right. That's a big piece. Well, well, thank you for sharing your adoption story. Uh, you know, most shared hers was um, more of you know a very traditional um, uh, mother father couldn't have children. I mean, you know. I- it was a very different time, different process 35 years ago. Mine uh, with my husband was, um, you know, in the 90s and there was a certain sort of social protocol and things that were, that were going on. And so this is yet another perspective. So thank you. I appreciate you sh- sharing that with everyone. Sure.
Um, and you know what? Why don't we let's let's introduce your team too. So I mean, I introduced you and Ricardo, and um, you know, and certainly I can't do it as well as you can. So why don't you um, take a minute, explain your department, your roles, and so forth, just to remind people what it is that you and your team do. Sure. Well, we're a two-person team, the Department of Family Support Services, or small but mighty. <laughs> um, we've really, we've worked together for years now. And so we've really um, gotten into our roles and really feel comfortable what, with what each of us does to help families and support families in the, in the best way possible. So I spend a lot of time working with families who are already in process. Right. So at that point, um, by the time they reach out to me, they typically have gone through their MAP class. They're getting home studied. They're starting to really think about what matching looks like. Sure. Um, the kind of child that might be placed with them or they're starting to attend events and they're looking for advice around, you know, how do I behave at these events? You know, is it okay for me to approach sure. kids and talk to kids? Right, right. Um, is it okay if I'm kind of shy and like to hang back and just talk to social workers? And what if I don't want to go to events at all? How am I going to get matched? Yeah. And I spend a lot of time, uh, I spend a lot of time talking to families like that. Um, I spend time with families who've had kids placed with them and are really looking for advice around uh, some child specific issues that come up, you know, like, my kiddo's having this issue. Do you know any therapists in my area who A, take mass health, and B, know how to help a child right. um, with this issue? Um, so really any- Pre-adoptive support, the, yeah. the, you know, the pieces where you're part of a community now, but maybe you don't have everything in place, right? Right, so and you still have your family worker at this point, right. um, but as we know, social workers are, are on the road and they're out and about and um, are not um, at their desk and by the phone, um, you know, Monday through Friday, nine to five, in the way that Ricardo and I have um, the luxury of being available to families um, when they call the office during business hours. So we're there really for any kind of question or concern that arises. Ricardo is typically the first voice that people hear when they call the office to find out more about foster care adoption. He's that person who's going to educate you, talk you through the process, tell you what to expect, right. um, answer all those questions that you know that you've had burning inside of you that you've been afraid to ask. And now I've made this call. And any question, anything. I mean, and Ricardo, I mean, aside from just being an incredibly knowledgeable person and super kind, um, and non-judgmental, uh, you know, really any question. And and we have people that call with all kinds of questions. Right. And and sometimes people will, you know, the funny thing is or ironic thing is that you know is we're having more engagement in social media and things like this podcast and you know we're, we're really building um, more connectivity to our community one of the first things that people come back with is I don't I'm afraid to ask right I'm embarrassed I don't you don't need to be embarrassed Ricardo Diane any one of our team members really I mean you know there's no one who would ever think that's a ridiculous question right because if you're thinking it We've probably had it before. Absolutely. We, I think we've definitely had the range of questions, and there really is no silly question. This is what we're here for. Right. This is what we do. Um, and it's we really enjoy helping people. And because I've gone through it personally, I know that I, I benefited from having people I could talk to um, who'd gone through it or were professionals in the field. I mean, you absolutely need people on the other end of the line who are going to make you feel like it's okay and that you're moving in the right direction and they're going to support you along the way. Right, and that's and that's a big piece of our job. You know, we are forever conjoined to DCF process as is any agency who supports mm -hmm. all of this work. Um, however, we're not DCF. 
and we have a very unique role. We talk about it, uh, you know, I use language like conduit and we're bridge builders and, you know, mm -hmm. we really are not an agency that makes decisions. Mo and I did a whole piece on this last time. Uh, you know, we're not the decision makers. We are just people who help to connect, answer questions, and keep you on the path, yeah. you know, and um, maybe keep you sane sometimes, right, when you're hitting walls and, you, and you've got challenges. I think it's also important to note that um, Diane also was one of our child service coordinators as well. So she worked on the other side of the house. Mo and I last time, you know, talked about the kinds of roles we have here at Mayor and child service coordinators being one of them. And, um, and so you've worked with the social workers and the kiddos. You now work with the families. Uh, you're an adoptive parent yourself. Your team works with, uh, Ricardo works very uh, much with the faith-based community as a, an extension of the work that he does. You and I uh, do a lot of work with LGBTQ um, parenting and children. Uh, so we've got, we've got lots of lenses into this work, and, and you certainly have a pretty global one. So, um, so thank you for sharing more about your team. We, we always love hearing about the work that you're doing. Um, and I certainly appreciate your story, and I'm sure that our audience can relate to your journey. Um, but let's shift gears a little bit. I, I want to, as we go through this podcast, teach people more about this whole process. That's really one of the things that, that we had as a goal. And so today, um, I'd like a, to have a bit of a primer for our audience um, who are just you know, beginning to think about the process or who maybe have been away from the process for um, a long time. I think I'd like to start by talking about the, the types of adoption. So why don't we talk a little bit about that? So, so in terms of, um, and you know what, why don't I let you talk about, because of your enculturation to the work, why don't I let you talk about sort of the DCF and, and the foster care process? Why don't I talk a little bit about um, the fact that there's a lot of different ways that you can start a family, right? And one of the first decisions you have to make is what best suits your family. I know that when Tom and I started this process back in the 90s, we looked at domestic adoption and international adoption and then you know we moved to adoption from foster care but um but basically there's there's three types of, of adoption right there's foster care domestic uh infant and intercountry or what is sometimes um, also called international adoption and regardless of the type of adoption massachusetts requires that all families work with a licensed adoption agency so as you're beginning this journey you may find that you know you're going to go out and look at um, what's available in your area and what agencies are in your area um, and we certainly would encourage you to do that. We'd encourage you to call Diane and her team if you have questions. Uh, but d domestic infant adoption is um, something that most people are familiar with, and it really just involves working with a private agency to adopt a newborn infant. Often the adoptive family will be matched with a birth parent that is making um, you know, adoption plans for a baby. And what's interesting is, you know, Mo talked about uh, 35 years ago going through this process and how um, you know, families weren't all that plugged in. There was a lot of secrecy and that, you know, it was a very different process. Today, you might even have open adoption agreements uh, with families. There are fees associated with this type of adoption that may include fees for a home study, which we've talked about what that is before, some birth parent expenses, uh, and post-placement services. So domestic infant adoption, certainly an avenue for some people, right? And I would echo what you said, Joe, that open adoption is really the way these days in any type of adoption, right. um, you're much more likely to have an open adoption um, in domestic infant adoption as you are in foster care adoption. So it's something you really have to consider. It's not a way to avoid open adoption by choosing domestic infant adoption. Right. And sometimes that's that's in people's minds, right, mm -hmm. that they that they want some privacy. But we also know the benefits. And we'll we'll talk more about that in, a, in another show. 
um, why open adoptions are important and what the benefits are. But for sure, domestic infant adoption can include that. Now, intercountry adoption or international adoption, um, I'm sure you, like I have, Diane, have been following that, and you know the numbers are way, way down. When, when um, Tom and I first started in the 70s, um, if, you start, if you look at the stats for intercountry adoption, and you can actually go on to um, uh, the State Department, and they, they have a really nice um, chart that kind of shows uh, what the international adoption rates are. You'll notice that it's gone down, and it's it's an intentional um, act on the part of the United States um, because of how some international adoptions were happening and, and how children were being treated. There was some humanitarian efforts that were put into place, but basically, intercountry or, or international adoption involves working with a private agency to adopt a child from another country, um, most commonly from Eastern Europe, China, Central Latin America, Africa, India, and children are typically um, toddler age or older. Uh, in addition. Um, to the uh, to the uh, agency requirements, the families must also meet the requirements of the foreign country. So you're working with a foreign country. There's a citizenship and immigration piece, which is you know that whole State Department piece. Um, there are fees certainly associated with this. Uh, I can remember one of the um, interesting things was that we had a uh, Tom's cousin, my cousin-in-law, um, had just uh, engaged in an international adoption and had to travel abroad with a suitcase full of money in order to complete the transaction. And uh, what also wasn't uncommon with many of the families that we talked to was that what was supposed to be a certain uh, length of time often got extended and people were kept in countries longer. And you know, so uh, it can be um, challenging to navigate. You would want a good agency to work with um, for sure. Uh, you know, and so here, the fees associated with this include fees for a home study to the agency in the foreign country, sometimes to some of the state agencies surrounding it in foreign countries there's also post placement services travel expenses you know lots of lots of stuff so um, so still an option not as many kids I would add that you know every type of adoption has its challenges and every type has something that's going to be um, a consideration for all families but I want to point out that specifically for LGBTQ individuals that intercountry adoption has been especially difficult there are some countries that um, altogether don't allow it right. and there are other countries that allow um, in individuals but not partnered um, people LGBTQ people to adopt so that's a huge consideration even in domestic you know uh, so uh, my one of my sons was born in Louisiana and although um, it was recently said to me that here in Massachusetts, uh, we live in a bubble within a bubble for LGBTQ families. Now, back going back to the 90s, we were able to uh, adopt as a same-sex couple. We were both able to be named on birth certificates except for one child because Louisiana did not allow that. Um, and, and I was just reminded of it because I was with my son and he had to get a replacement because like many college students, he somehow misplaced his certificate at some <laughs> point uh, but um, but you know even domestically um, you know you think about this idea that you know especially for LGBTQ couples um, that, that we're in this bubble up here in, in Massachusetts and, and you know rightfully so um, it's easier for us to engage but uh, those challenges as you move out across the country and out across the world aren't necessarily the same so that's a little bit about domestic and intercountry, and and you know what, Diane? Since you work with families engaged in foster care and adoption every day, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about that process? Sure, I'll start by saying with the other types of adoption, um, Ricardo and I, of course, will educate 
families that call about those two kinds of adoptions, just as Joe said, and are happy to point you in the direction of agencies that perform those kinds of adoption. Um, but what Mayor really specializes in is adoption from foster care. Mm-hmm. Um, all of the kids that we serve are in the custody of the Massachusetts Department of Children and Families, or DCF, and most of them are living in foster homes, but some are living in residential facilities. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with them, they're really like group homes. Um, right. Kids are living together and getting therapeutic support um, on a 24-7 basis. Um, some kids are actually being educated within the residential facility, and other right. kids are going out into the community and attending a local public school. And uh, we, we reminded listeners of that last time. That's all f- a question that we often get. Is DCF involved in everything? Yeah. Yeah, DCF, with the, ex- with the rare exception of some intensive kind of foster care situations, um, DCF is the agency of record for, for many of the agencies. So even though you may um, end up with a sub-agency, right, mm-hmm. or a child who's in the care of a sub-agency, it all still runs through DCF, right? Yeah, that's a common question when people ask um, about working with contracted agencies rather than working with DCF. Um, am I going to be able to adopt a child in DCF custody? Am I still able to look at kids on your website who are waiting children? Absolutely. They're all the same group of kids. They're all in state custody. And um, it doesn't matter which agency you work with. Those are the kiddos that you're going to be matched with. Many of our kids are six or older, um, although the demographics are, are always changing. Shifting um, a lot. They're getting, yeah. getting younger sometimes. They as are. We look at the population. I mean, due to the opioid crisis and other um, social crises that happen over time, that demographic is always shifting. So really, I, I would say that we have kids from zero to 18, but predominantly they're school-age children. And I always, you know, the one thing I always talk about when we start talking about zero and your experience, um, which I think, you know, you have a really great experience with a newborn. Uh, but I think in general, if we think about the newborns that typically come into care, it can be very challenging for many families. I mean, if we think about the circumstances that bring a newborn immediately into placement. Um, that can be a little bit challenging, but we do have that opportunity and, and certainly the opportunity for discussions about that. If people are interested in adopting a very, very young child, I'd encourage them to call your team and to really talk about what that means and, uh, and or reach out to you know, the parents in the area who have done so um, because you know, as we talk about uh, risk, we'll talk about that a little bit later in this podcast, but as we talk about you know, sort of assessing risk and thinking about all the things that can happen, um, you know, certainly a baby brings more challenges, right? Well, now that my kids are older, I think I sentimentalize the process a little bit. <laughs> Just like people say, you know, you forget about how difficult the birth or the delivery yeah. was of your child. And so yeah. that's why you go on to do it again. Um, I think that's that's also something that can happen with adoption. When I look back now, I can recall, of course, there were challenges. I mean, our son was born um, exposed to substances and he wasn't altogether healthy. Our second son, as I mentioned, has a congenital heart defect and we ended up having having to take him to to children's to have his third open heart surgery. Um, And that all feels so long ago and far away, of course, because now I'm just busy child rearing, but all of that happened and it wasn't easy. And both of our kids' cases were legal risk. So there were, you know, there were those difficult nights where you're wondering what's going to happen. What's this journey going to be like and how long will it take 
for us to finalize our adoption. Um, so all of that is still very true. I think, and I think things. you're right too. It really is. It's a matter of perspective. Mm -hmm. It's a matter of where you are in process. I mean, you know, here I am, seven kids later, and mm -hmm. you know, more kids than that having gone through our home, and more kids than that have been, you know, part of our consideration. Mm -hmm. And things happen, but um, mm -hmm. it it depends where you are in the cycle, right? Yes. I think. Yes. I think when you're in the thick of it, sometimes you feel like you know everything is going wrong, or you can have those days where everything's going wrong. But you know, here's a big secret: I have friends who are bio parents, mm -hmm. and some days they feel like everything's <laughs> going wrong. So it's it's not just those of us on this track. Um, so tell us a little bit more about um, you know adopting a child from foster care and, and how this begins to to play out. Sure. So th I think the biggest difference is there are no fees involved in adoption from foster care from start to finish. I know people people ask me more specific questions when we're talking about finances on the phone right. um, because I think it's really hard to believe there would be no hidden fees, but there really aren't. Um, in domestic private adoption or inter-country adoption, you as prospective parents would be paying for the home study, for example, right. and you're not doing that here. Um, and you're not paying for any of the legal fees um, as the case unfolds, which is also different from domestic infant and intercountry sure. adoption. So no hidden fees, I promise. It's all free. Um, which is, and that's interesting because one of the things that we get a lot of times on uh, our social media engagement is people not knowing that mm -hmm. and not believing it, mm -hmm. right? So, so it's not uncommon for us multiple times a week to get somebody to say, um, I would adopt, but it's so expensive. Right. I wish we could afford to do that. It's free. Yeah. It's free. I mean, for me, that's the most important thing about doing what we're doing right now, a podcast or a Facebook live talk uh, or workshop or a training is taking these assumptions that people have right. and turning them upside down and giving people the facts. And um, that's just one of them. That, but, but that's a biggie. Right. The other thing I would say, um, and to the best of my knowledge, Domestic infant adoption and intercountry adoption um, don't mandate that you take some sort of training to become a parent, whereas adoption from foster care does. Right. You're going to take the MAP training class and you're going to go, you know, one night a week for 10 weeks, uh, three hour sessions or, or maybe on Saturdays um, all day for five uh, five weeks, um, which I think at the start for everybody feels really onerous, but by the end, everyone's so grateful that they've taken it. And it's so important, you know, it is. well, so Diane, so I've shared with our audience before that I was a MAP trainer. Diane is also a MAP trainer and, um, and she and I have had the opportunity to discuss the curriculum and, you know, this particular curriculum is pretty tough and sometimes catches people off guard week one, week two, you know, as they're beginning to get into this process. But at the end, I've had people saying, why doesn't everybody do this? Why aren't we doing this in the schools? How come, you know, you know, would we even be in this position if we educated people better? It's it's a nice primer, right? Yes, it's, even it's if you've already parented and you have a lot of parenting experience, this is a different set of issues that we're talking about. Yeah. Of course, our kids will be typical kids in lots of ways, but they've also had history and experiences that um, your birth children likely have not. Right. And and it's such a good such a good bit of content. And it's in if nothing else it's thought provoking. Mm -hmm. You know, I tell, I used to always tell my classes, I've, I've stopped teaching MAP for the time being, but I would always say to them, put the book away, don't put it away too far. There will be a time when you need it, right? right. And hopefully not every kid will deal with everything that we've talked about <laughs> because there's a lot of content <laughs> in yeah. there, right? But you will need it at some point. And, and I think you're right. So the having the classes helps. There's no fees for sure. Um, what do people need to think about um, when they adopt from foster care? 
I think the most important thing is thinking about your level of flexibility. Um, you're going to be working with a lot of people throughout the process. Right. You've got attorneys, you've got social workers on both sides, um, birth parents, any other birth family members who are still involved in the process. Mm-hmm. And you've really just got to be open sometimes to not knowing where it's going next and for just kind of trusting that the process is a child-centric one and that it's moving in the direction that's best for the child, but that there are going to be hiccups along the way um, and that unexpected issues may arise because we're talking about human beings. And there's a lot of process. You know, one thing that's interesting, I've been involved in in dialogues recently with, um, uh, with an online group about the difference between foster parenting and adoptive parenting. But the commonalities between those two things, since adoptive parenting or being a pre-adoptive parent is an extension of foster care, are, are pretty much the same. But what's interesting is what gets lost, what gets what's visible is the DCF practices. Mm-hmm. What gets lost is the courts. And the courts are concurrently doing work with DCF and often driving the decisions that DCF is making. So you do have to have some flexibility, and, and you know the the uh, faith that this is a process that is designed to work a particular way. Um, it may be hard at times, right? It may be challenging to to watch it play out at times, but um, but it is built uh, on a base of fairness and equity yes. for everyone going through the process and permanency. Like yeah. the goal is permanency, and to keep in mind that everything that's happening along the way is to reach that point of permanency. And as the adults in the equation, we really have to shoulder all of that so that we make this as painless as possible for our kiddos. But that's right. And and this is not a process about um, parents selecting children. Right. This is a process about parents, prospective adoptive parents, having a particular set of strengths that they bring to the table that can help to support a child. And that's a very different it's a very different way to look at it, I think. But that's yeah. how I've always looked at it. Does that make sense? Absolutely. To think about it that way? Which means thinking about your own reaction to, to challenges. Can you have a sense of humor? Right. You know, can you remain stable even in unpredictable situations? Because those are the things that are most important um, in being successful and having an adoption um, that works for everybody. Right. Right. And being the adult. Yep. Right. Absolutely. And I would be remiss if I didn't recall uh, our old campaign work that's still very active with Adopt U.S. Kids, which is you don't <laughs> have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Well right. Said. There is there's a lot of things that that you can bring to the table that may be very different than the person next to you. And that's OK. We all have different strengths that we that we can offer a child. All right. So um, how about if I how about if I demystify um, a little bit about you know some of the incorrect assumptions that, that people sometimes make. Great. Yeah. So there's a lot of myths, and you may, if you follow us on other channels, you know you'll see that some of this plays out, right? We try and uh, demystify all of the kinds of things that, that people think. Um, so there's a lot of myths about who is eligible to adopt uh, from foster care, but you can be an adult of any age as long as you're 18 years old. There's no upper age limit to adopt, right? So um, there are some specifics, uh, you know, with regard to, to age. And, um, and sometimes you see 18, sometimes you see 21. We tend to go with, you know, what's uh, on the, the DCF website. Um, but really, you have to be an, an adult, right? So you have to be beyond the age of, of legal consent. Um, you can be single, married, partnered, stray, gay, straight, gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgender. Don't mind me. I'm tripping over my tongue. Um, 
And that's important, you know, uh, in the work that we do, Diane, and I know the work that I do statewide, and you and I have so much overlapping work here at Mayor, the national dialogue, um, especially for LGBTQIA families, um, is such that, in, you know, if we start thinking about what's going on in uh, the Carolinas and what's going on in Michigan and, you know, all of these new bills, you know, here in Massachusetts, that's not really an, an issue. Um, we're fortunate. And I would say I'm also thankful specifically to bisexual and transgender parents who've come through the process who've really led the way. Right. Um, I know that social workers are doing a lot of education behind the scenes and we as a staff are, are always um, trying to be the most educated that we can be in serving families. Um, but I'm really grateful to those folks for coming through the process and um, being treated just like everyone else, being treated equally as they deserve to be, but really paving the way right. for other folks. So I really invite folks to call and um, and speak to us if you have any wariness or even fears around not being considered as a prospective adoptive parent um, because of your uh, gender identity or sexual orientation. Yeah, and we do a really good job. You know, one of the things that I always talk about, it's rarely with Diane in the room, so I'll, I'll, I'll tell everyone that she's going to blush in about two seconds. But, but one of the things that we do so well um, is really to engage with and support a wide variety of peoples from a wide variety of backgrounds. I mean, you know, no matter what it is that you're connected to, I think we are so diverse in the way that we think. But specifically, as you, as you talk about LGBTQ families, I can remember, uh, you know, going, this is, again, my story goes back to the, to the 90s. My first two boys came from there. Um, I was at mm -hmm. the Worcester Ecoterrium, which used to be the Worcester Science Center, back when they had a display that said, someday microwaves may cook your food. Um, it was a little <laughs> outdated, but, <laughs> but the fact of the matter is we were treated well then, and I think we treat families well now. And, and the one thing that, that I think that you would blush on is the fact that you've got such a finger on the pulse of um, the LGBTQ community and, and, and are able to connect in a way that's very meaningful um, in terms of needs, needs assessments, in making sure that the strengths that people bring to the table, regardless of what those strengths are, right, are, are greatly yeah. matched. Um, and I would say also, you know, our single parents too. That's another area that we that we hit where um, oftentimes single people feel like, am I in the running, you know, to be a parent? Yes. And I would say those two of groups of of people, single folks and LGBTQ folks, um, they have been parenting long enough that we have documented studies and data showing right. how wonderfully right. their kids right. turn out. Absolutely. So this is not just my personal opinion. <laughs> the sure, data backs a, not, it up. Not the world according to Diane. Right. <laughs> no, no, but it's true. And and so and so we are we are very engaged. And people may have uh, different perceptions that they hold, but I would encourage folks to give us a call, whether you're single, married, partnered, straight, gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgender. You know, we are more than happy to to talk to you about your unique circumstance. Um, so other myths, right? Um, you can just be starting your family from scratch or you may have other kids in the home. Uh, what's interesting is I always um, say that, you know, what's interesting is with people living longer, oftentimes when people become empty nesters now, it's not like they're just going into retirement and sailing off into the sunset. I know a lot of people who have sent kids off to college who have started all <laughs> over again mm -hmm. and brought kids into their home, and, uh, as well as young couples uh, or people who may have been on the infertility treatment path. And you know, so so anywhere in your anywhere in your pursuit, you could just be starting or have other kids. You can be a homeowner or a renter. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes people will say, "Do I have to own a home?" Mm -hmm. 
You just have to have stable housing. You have to have, there are requirements for the amount of room that you have to have for a child, right? But really, you can be a homeowner or a renter. Income. So aside from the freebie that we talked about earlier, income is another one of those things. You know, well, do I have to have a, a certain income level? Am I going to be judged on my income level? Speaking to our piece of the process, you know, you can be of any income level. You just have to have stable enough income that you can support a family, right? And bear in mind, there's no cost right. to adopt from foster care. So, you know, and sometimes there are financial and medical subsidies that may be available. You know, you and I talked about the mass health piece. Um, but sometimes with older kiddos, there may be some subsidies to help families out uh, or kiddos with more extreme needs, right? Right. Um, I said a little bit about Ricardo's work with religion earlier, but really, you can have religion or no religion. You can be of any race, ethnicity, religion, have no religion. Um, you know, identity is important as a matching criteria. We talked about strength-based matching. Uh, so, you know, it's important to let your workers know how you identify, but those are all strengths, right? Those are all ways in which we can help to match kids. Right. When it comes to older kids, they have their own say. If they've been practicing a religion and feel really strongly about it, then they would be matched with a family who feels okay with supporting a child right. in whichever religion they want to practice. Um, but with younger children who haven't had that experience, being raised by you and whatever your faith and religion is, um, is just very similar to, to a birth family. Right, right. It's inculturating them into your, your family and your traditions. Yeah, yeah for sure. So um, you can be an adult, um, even with a medical or mental health condition or a disability. That often comes up if I have a particular medical condition or a mental health condition or a disability. Um, you know, medical and, uh, I'm sorry, disabilities and medical conditions are not reasons for automatically disqualifying people. Um, there'll be a certainly be something that we would think about as we're matching but again there's strengths you know one of the things i always talk about in in our uh, when i was teaching math class a lot was uh, a thing that we talk about is substance abuse right as one of those topics and i say to the classes all the time let's take the uh, idea of alcoholism some alcoholics go on to to um, have very um uh, little connectivity with people who have alcohol and substance abuse because that's what they require, th that's what they need to stay on, on the path of sobriety. Others go on to lead groups and to be mentors to people. And to so when you're thinking about kids and you're thinking about, oh my gosh, um, you know, if uh, I was an alcoholic and I'm, I'm, s I'm sober, you know, could I consider a child who maybe has a substance abuse um, problem? Depends. Depends how you react, right? But even even those kinds of things can be strengths. People who've come out the other side of adversity, right, sometimes mm -hmm. present strengths. So sometimes it's medical or mental health conditions or, you know, um, uh, other disabilities. There may be great strengths to match with a kid. Yeah, and sobriety is a process. And it's something that's part of your identity for your entire life, even if you've been sober, you know, 15 years or 20 right. years. I know that... Um, folks who have identified as substance abuse um, users still see that that was a part of who they were right. and that they need to do the work to stay sober. And I think that that lends itself to really understanding kids who've been in the system, um, that being a foster child is still part of their identity somewhere long after they've been adopted and that they have a birth family somewhere right. and it that's not negated by being adopted and having a new adoptive family. Right. And for some people it may be a trigger. 
So, you know, but these are conversations. Home study we demystified last time. These are the kind of honest conversations that you really need to have with your worker. And, and you need to be upfront, right, and talk with them. Um, you need to uh, be a U.S. citizen uh, or a qualified documented alien, for sure. And we do, um, you know, um, folks do engage in background record checks as part of this process. So um, applicants with a charge on their quarry, um, which is, you know, the, um, the record check piece of it, um, can apply for a waiver. So in certain circumstances, there are things that, that can be, um, uh, can have a waiver and can be explained. And so uh, if you got in trouble 30 years ago, and now are considering this and think that's going to be an issue, talk to somebody, right? I mean, we're not the decision makers here, but, but really when you get to the place where you're going through application and you're going through homestead, you, you can have a conversation yeah, uh, with the workers and tell people up front, be honest. Don't, you know, we could be missing out on a really great family because they're afraid to share um, a misdemeanor that they were charged with many years ago. Um, but it's better to know. So right. give DCF a call and let someone else tell you whether or not you're be able honest. To, yeah, you're able to adopt. Yeah. Okay. Well, for the sake of time, I'm, I, we're running a little bit long, but I want to go through the steps. Um, there's, you know, the steps to adoption, and um, and so why don't we let's just let's ping and pong. Let's go back and forth. Why don't you tell me what the first step is? Sure. So give us a call, and either I or Ricardo Franco, as I mentioned, will answer all of your questions, talk you through the process, ask you where you live, so we can point you in the direction of the adoption agencies that serve the region of the state you're living in. Um, this is for Massachusetts families only. If you're living out of state, we'll direct you to um, Adopt Us Kids, which is a national service. Okay. So that's the adoption inquiry. And then, so uh, make an agency application. So, you know, upon your request, a social worker from the agency you've chosen to work with will visit you and you'll begin the uh, process. And then what does that mean? What, what, what does that lead to? Right. So the first thing that happens is the application asks for your social security number and that will be sent out to have your uh, criminal background check and your sex offender background check run. And then once those are completed, a social worker from the agency will give you a call and set up a time to come out to your home to do a physical standards check. Um, and that's really not about having your home childproofed at this point. It's right. just making sure that your home is a safe environment. Sure. And then training. So we talk an awful lot about MAP, and, and I think that that our listeners at this point understand um, what that's all about. But you do go through some training. So once your application is approved, you'll be invited to a training program. They happen all over the state. Uh, on our website, you'll find information about where those occur. But you can't just show up, right? You, you've got to right. get to that place. And then what happens? And then a social worker from the agency, maybe the person who taught you MAP or maybe someone else from that agency, is going to conduct the home study. So they'll schedule three to four visits to your home um, where they'll interview, get to know you, ask about um, your your life from childhood all the way up to present day so that they can really identify your strengths as a family and make the best match for you with a child. Great. And then uh, licensing. So once your home study has been completed, now you're at that point, right? So all this is pre-work. We're, we're working up to getting to the place where you can adopt. All this is pre-work. So this is licensing. And then once you're licensed... The exciting part, the matching. Um, so you'll start maybe attending mayor events or your worker will be calling you with potential matches. Um, and these are kids who um, who have the characteristics that have been identified in your home study as being a good match for you. 
Um, and once you're matched with a child, you will come into the office and have a disclosure meeting where you'll find out more about the child's case. And should you decide to move forward, you'll start visitation. Good. And then there's some placement support. So, you know, placement decisions are mutual and they're based upon planned, uh, a very planned schedule. And you'll receive support throughout that process. And once a child's placed, you'll work with their social worker and your social worker and, and you know, begin to move into the, the placement process. Um, a child must be legally freed and reside with you for six months before legalization can occur. But, you know, oftentimes that timeline we all know is much longer. And for the sake of permanency, that's a, that's a good thing, yeah. right? Um, and then I guess then we move on to, you know, so then we hit adoption, right? So once yeah. you're adopted, then, then what goes on? You have your adoption day, you celebrate, and then what? Well, Mayor is always here to answer questions or um, to point you in the direction of resources uh, that can be helpful to you that are available to you and your family. But also the Department of Children and Families has a contract with Adoption Journeys, which is another organization that uh, provides services to you post-adoption, um, like respite, like workshops, right. um, like family get-togethers. Um, what else am I missing? I offer a lot. Yeah, well, it, it, pretty yeah. much anything they take in over. In-home services? In, yeah, right, in-home services, but they take over where uh, your DCF services leave off, right? Because right. there is there's a defining line at that point, yep. right? So, But there is someone there. So we've talked about the whole process. Um, what I, why don't I just run through this list really quickly um, in terms of uh, engagement? So I, I call this, you know, um, how proactive you want to be, right? So after a home study, um, on the on the least proactive end of things, you can just wait for your ADLU or Adoption Development Licensing Unit worker or privacy agency worker to call. They've learned who you are, right? They're out there helping and to, to create situations where matches happen for you. Um, I like to tell people to create a family marketing tool. So I would always say a postcard or a leave behind that you can meet when you meet social workers. You can tell them a little bit more about your family and your family's strengths. You can use tools like our website, marink.org or adoptuskids.org as a resource for beginning the matching process. And a lot of families do this sometimes as they're in process, as long as they understand that they need to get to the place where they can actually get information uh, before they do any outreach. This is a great tool. They can certainly call you uh, and the team at Mayor for assistance in matching with the child. And then as we get more and more proactive, and not everyone's comfortable with all of this, and that's okay. You can decide just how much risk you want to take. You can decide just how proactive you want to be. You can attend our adoption parties and matching events. And Mo and I talked about big events versus small events and how sometimes people have a particular feeling about you know particular environments, right? And then you can directly engage with your ADLU worker and the children's social workers. So there's just tons of ways in which people can get involved in this process. Um, We've gone through a lot of, I'm trying to make sure that we don't use vocabulary that people don't understand. So what do you think, why don't we just review a couple of bits of vocab from sure. this segment? Particularly acronyms, you know. Acronyms <laughs> are tough, Confuse right? acronyms. So we used CORI, C-O-R-I, and SORI, S-O-R-I. And those are the background checks. So it's criminal offender background check and a sex offender background check. And those are the background checks that DCF runs right at the start of the process when you've turned in your application, which will show them your criminal and state child welfare history uh, to be sure that you're an appropriate candidate for adoption. 
and the other terms we used were really just the types of adoption and these can be found on our website so feel free to go and um, and reread them at your leisure but intercountry or international adoption is essentially adopting adopting from another country outside of the United States domestic adoption is infant adoption that happens here in the United States through a private adoption agency and both intercountry and domestic adoption um, both have fees attached to them and then lastly foster care adoption which is what Mary specializes in and it's adoption of kids who are in the the custody of the Department of Children and Families right and I think we'd use some other common terms from prior shows but if you're just joining us the, for the first time we used MAP and that's the Massachusetts approach to partnership and parenting it's a 10-week or 30-hour course it may be broken up differently than 10 weeks um, where you learn all about adoption from foster care. We also uh, talked about ADLU, which is uh, the group, the Adoption Development Licensing Unit, who has the social workers who support you as a family. Um, and Diane, why don't we remind our listeners of how they can get questions answered? You know, how can they get more information? Sure, lots of different ways. Whatever you feel most comfortable with, you could call us at 617-964-6273. Um, you could email us, you could come to an event, you could log on to our website, maryinc.org, um, any of our social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at MassDopt. Great. Well, thank you, Diane, for another stimulating and educating conversation. I know how much, uh, you know, you know how much I appreciate you and working with you. So thanks for spending some time with me. This was great. Thanks for having me. Great. Well, we'll be right back to introduce you to a few waiting children right after this short break. Be right back. And now it's time to introduce you to some of our waiting children. Today we're going to learn about Jaden and Carissa. This is probably a good time to remind our listeners that they can find information about either of the children at our website, marink.org, by clicking on the Meet the Children tab and then selecting Waiting Children. You can either search by the child registration number, which you'll learn about in just a moment, or you can view Waiting Children or create your own custom search. So Diane, tell me more about the featured Waiting Children. Sure. First up, we have Jaden. Like most eight-year-olds, he's energetic and playful. Um, you'll have to check out his photo. He's got a great smile. And the people who know him best describe him as incredibly bright, sociable, kind, and affectionate. He likes physical play. He likes others to engage in a game of toss or tag with him. He loves wrestling, playing He's it, an interactive and little guy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He's like a hands-on parent. <laughs> right, right. Um, he loves going to school. That's good, That's right? A win -win. That's a huge challenge. Mm -hmm. So, good. and his teachers describe him as a role model, model student who is doing well. That's always a you. You were yeah. a former teacher, right, right? That's a nice compliment for any kid, right? Yeah, I mean, he sounds like the kind of kiddo you'll get positive phone calls home about, or right, <laughs> a nice right. note home about. Who doesn't want that? Um, so, what kind of family would be right for Jaden? He'd benefit from a family where he's the only child, or a family that can just give him a lot of frequent individualized attention. So, if he's not the only child, I'm guessing maybe some older kids who have their own busy social yeah, lives, or maybe a little more independent, yep. right? It, who wouldn't mind you spending a little time with Jaden? That's right. Right. That's really what that means. That's right, because as we said, he loves active play, and so he really needs a parent um, who's going to be able to to give that to him. Right. Uh, good news is he's legally free for adoption, and his social worker is open to considering Massachusetts foster families in addition to just pre-adopted families. That's great. That's great. And then we have Carissa. 
and Carissa is 15 years old. Another great photo. I know. Um, really terrific. And it says here that Carissa loves to sing. She loves to sing. Does she have a video? Uh, you know what? She is in, I, I think we're in the process of putting together a video, but, but she is a singer. Well, sure. It sounds like she'd love to make a video. Right. Um, she's bilingual. So she's African-American and Caucasian, but she actually speaks English and Spanish. She's funny. She's sociable. She's playful. She's lovable. In addition to the singing, you mentioned Joe. She likes telling jokes. Oh, we can't get her on I film think, telling I jokes. Think it's, yeah, why not? <laughs> Dancing, painting, drawing. And yeah, it sounds like in her downtime, she likes to watch TV. She's also learning to play different instruments. She can play the violin and piano already. Beautifully. And I think but with, with being outgoing, doesn't it make you, so, you know, Chris is a little bit older, right? Mm -hmm. um, but resiliency. Mm -hmm. We think about the resiliency of children. And we always say, you know, children are resilient, but then we balance it with, you know, the trauma or abuse and neglect sometimes. Here's a kid who's a little bit older. She loves to sing. She wants to tell jokes, right? This is somebody who is who's engaged and she has passions i think that's really important that keeps that keeps anybody going right and she's got quite a few passions um she likes gym um but she doesn't love history so well <laughs> you good know for her for knowing what she likes and doesn't <laughs> like um she when she grows up she'd like to be a social worker and help others um we hear that quite a bit which is a good sign it, it means she's had some good experiences with social right. workers um so much so that she'd like to be one She's proud of herself for reaching her goals. So okay. it sounds like she's got some confidence. Um, she relates her experiences in life to climbing a mountain and not stopping until she reaches the stars. Oh, sounds poetic. I love it. Chris is also legally freed for adoption. And when asked about what she wants in an adoptive family, she's expressed that she'd like to have her own bedroom. That's, that's reasonable. <laughs> she is 15. To right. be able to go for walks in the community, to spend time with friends, to go shopping and work out at the gym. Those are those are some pretty good goals. Those are some pretty mature goals. I think that's that's great. Sounds like normal teen stuff. She'd like a potential family to know that when meeting someone new, it's going to take some time for her to open up. Right. And that she has great relationships already with her visiting resources and would like to stay connected to them. So she needs a family who's going to respect those relationships and keep them going for her. Well, that's good. And she does have a video online, so you can also check out that. Oh, and good. Um, and, you know, for both of these kids and for all of our kids, really, if you have any questions, please, please don't hesitate to give us a call. Um, and you know what, Diane? I want to remind them of what that process is like. How easy is it to find out more about a kid? Visit us at mayorinc.org. Call us at 617-964-6273 or attend a mayor event. We have them listed on mayorinc.org. Perfect. Well, thanks for joining me, Diane. This has been a very educational segment. And, of course, working with you is always fun. And I look forward to we're going to be co-hosting again next month. So um, we're going to take a little break, and we'll be back with special guests from Jordan's Furniture. studio is Megan Dolan, our Director of Development. Welcome, Megan. Hi, Joe. I'm happy to be here. I'm excited you're here. You're here to tell us about a really fun mayor event that's coming up. I sure am. Um, so we have our annual big fundraising event, the Jordan's Furniture Walk Run for Adoption. We have a walk run for adoption? We do. I only mention it 10 times a day. And I only harass you every time you do. So tell everyone, um, when is it happening? 
Where uh, is it happening? It is Sunday, May 19th, and it takes place at Jordan's Furniture in Taunton. Great. And I know from experience I can walk, I can run, but I can also fundraise. So if I want to do any of those things, what does it cost? Where do I go? Great questions. So for all the information and to register, you go to jordanswalkforadoption.org. Registration is $35 for adults, $15 for social workers who work with Mayor, and for kids, uh, 3 to 12. Your little ones are free. Um, and there are so many ways to help out. You don't actually have to exercise. Um, you Which can is just, great, because I don't really want to exercise. You can just come to the event and hang out and wait for the after party, which has all kinds of fun stuff for families. It is super fun, and I, I've met many families over the years who uh, meet up there on an annual basis. Some families have met each other there. There are people who get together as a family to support uh, you know, Mayor, and maybe they're fundraising, maybe they're walking, maybe they're running, but then there's all kinds of after activities, right? There's an after party, lots of fun. Lots food. of fun. There's music. There's activities for kids. There's going to be a make-your-own-superhero match station oh there's so going to be a photo booth there's lunch tell me i get a cape do i get a cape you year? get a cape you all get right, a cape good. all right well i'll be there and hopefully our listeners will be able to join us as well thanks for joining me megan thank you and i'll see you at the walk excellent back to Adopt Ed. This is our Adopt Talk segment where we get to meet community members who are involved in the foster care and adoption process. Joining me today is my guest from Jordan's Furniture. Many of our listeners will surely know that Jordan's Furniture has been a wonderful friend and supporter to Mayor for over 20 years. During that time and with the help of Elliot and the Jordan's team, Mayor has placed over 470 children into adoptive homes. Of course, Jordan's is so well known that they don't need any introduction, but I would like to welcome Heather Coppola Public Relations Manager for Jordan Furn Jordan's Furniture. Thanks for joining me today, Heather. Thank you, Joe. Good to be here. Thank you. So this podcast is all about education, and an important part of our education happens at events like the one being hosted today at Jordan's. So today we're having the Beanstalk event, um, but what I'd like to do is start with a little bit about the history of engagement between Jordan's and foster care and adoption, and talk a little bit about why it's important Jordans to participate in, in this particular kind of event? Sure. Um, we've had this partnership for over 20 years, as you know, and it started small. So we started with baby steps, uh, and long ago it really was just, a, I think, a financial request. And prior to even making that commitment, we researched and found out a little bit more about Mayor Mass Adoption Resource Exchange and realized the scope of the services, the scope of the children that are supported for sure. Mayor. Um, started to do small events to see what we could do to find permanent homes for, for children and youth in foster care. And once we started to create these events and to support this cause, we realized that we do have the stores that are so conducive to bringing families and children, children together that these were successful events and we started to grow from that. Uh, and our events got larger and larger and throughout the years we realized also that it's really important to have sustained attention to a particular cause to right. make impact. Right. There's so many worthy causes that are out there. We could spread the wealth, so to speak, with so many different causes all at one time. But really, in order to make an impact and to make a difference with a particular cause, it's really important, we feel, to uh, have continued attention toward sure. a specific one. And so 
it almost becomes part of our branding. And so throughout our communities, folks know that adoption and foster care adoption specifically is something that Jordan supports. Right. So that when we're putting on an event or we're just promoting the cause, it, it really is aligned with our branding and with Elliot's voice. People listen it's to synonymous. That. It's synonymous. It is synonymous. And Elliot literally is stopped in the street when he walks down the street. Right. And, and there have been many times where people have stopped and said, thank you so much. I met my future son or daughter at one of your events, right. and I can't thank you enough. And he's the first to say, that goes such a long way and a lot further than selling a sofa. It's really 100%. Yeah. And there's a lot to unpack in that in that statement. So one of the things that we're doing, so we're at Beanstalk here today. Yes. We also host in the fall the options event Correct. in the same store. Great little play area. You know, we're all about making sure that this is just a fun day of play. Oftentimes sure. that's a question we get asked from families. You know, what's it going to be like? You know, how are, the, how are we going to interact with the children? Listen, the kids are here to play. That's right. Some of them are excited to be getting together with people that they haven't seen in a That's long right. time, friends, and, and sometimes siblings will get together at these events. My gosh, your store and stores make for just such a fun event, you know, regardless of which site we're at. And this one in particular with the ropes course, oh my gosh, if people haven't been here, they need to come and check out the That's store right. and, and, and do a little shopping with the kids because so much fun. And, and we do say that if... With, with these adoption events that we run at our stores that are family-friendly and, and great for interaction with families and kids, we do say that if minimally what's, what comes out of one of these adoption events is that we give these kids a great morning that right. they might not have, they have a, then, then we've done, done our Absolutely. job. If, if we find matches... All the Job better. done. Absolutely. All the better. Absolutely. One hundred percent. So, so um, I'm going to gush a little bit about Jordans and Elliot and you. Um, you know, one of the other things that that we do and did very early on with you is the digital heart gallery. Yeah, that's uh, right. And that's a construct that we now um, employ across multiple platforms and in many communities. But but you guys were the first to be open to and willing to host that. And what a wonderful way to showcase children waiting in foster care. Absolutely, and we have a, we're have we so lucky in that we do have what we call destination stores where folks spend a lot more time in the store than they do in an average retail store because right. of the entertainment aspects that we have here, because of the size and scope of our showrooms, because of the design of the stores. That's all very deliberate, obviously. Uh, but the entertainment also, again, like I said, is a real draw for right. families to come. and. The heart gallery and the digital heart gallery, I literally have been a witness of, of coming to these stores, and I travel to all the stores, and I see folks stop. They stop, and they stand there, not for 30 seconds or a minute, but several minutes, and four and five minutes, and they watch it, and they watch the slides, and they look at these kids, and they read their little bio, and, and if, if that can spur one family, two families, five families, ten families, the more the oh better. If that can sp spur a phone call right. to, to mayor, then again, that's, that is exactly why we do that. Anytime that we can create exposure for not only the cause, but specific kids. You know, right. these kids, these are real people. These are kids these waiting. These are real kids They're waiting. They're kind of waiting for a connection Absolutely. to a family. Yeah, so we've broadened that as well. So um, for anyone thinking about how they can help, that's a way to help. Uh, Absolutely. Not just 
having space or sponsoring a large event, really, but for even the average smaller business who happens to have a video screen, That's or, right. you know, it's an easy way to, to, to sponsor it. Um, and the other thing I'm going to gush a little bit about is you guys do have a lot of community partnerships. I know when I go on to your partnerships page, and that's largely in, in your realm, right? That's part of um, the connection that you have to the community it as is. well. It is. We just feel that, it, and this, again, this is absolutely comes from Elliot as the president of Jordan's in that uh, he's always felt, and I think this is part of his philosophy, not only as a businessman, but as a person, is that if you're in the opportunity, you're in a lucky opportunity, um, or situation rather, that you are able to give back, it's, it's your duty to give yeah, back. Yeah, for sure. And so it's important for us to support the communities that support us. We have six stores in six very different communities, and so it's very, very important for us to, um, to give back to those communities. So we do have um, multiple uh, community partners and charity partners um, and uh, different nonprofits that we support. But it going back to original, you know, in the original conversation we had, that it, it is important to focus on some specific causes and some specific organizations that are important to a business or well, your to business. To have a plan, right? I mean, and to, to have a plan and to and to have that what I call sustained attention. You got to have that sustained attention to make an impact. Now, I'm not saying that a sponsorship of you know X, Y, and Z gala doesn't go a long sure, way. That's sure. fine. Everyone has their own agenda and their own plan. Right. And and you should. You you need to have that. But um, it's it's really important to just find something that's important to the company. It right. really is. And 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 then then that way you're able to support it. Um, for years and years. Yeah, and you've sort of answered my next question was really about the philanthropy and what would you tell a, a fledgling company, you know, somebody who's just thinking, like, how can I get more involved in community action? How can I, you know, really do some impactful work aside from my overall sure. or, or, or general core work? You know, and it sounds like that's the answer, right, is that you have to pick something that's important I think you should really, and, and, and think about it that way. It's your choice. You're, you're a retailer. You, you can go in and open your doors and sell your goods and right. then close up at the end of the day and go home. It's your it's your choice and your prerogative to choose what's important right. for you as a company, for you as a retailer, for you as a community leader. It's up to you to choose. There is there are countless worthy causes. Right. Foster care adoption happens to be something that we chose and now is very near and dear to my heart, to Elliot's right, heart, to right. a lot of people within the, the, the and we Jordan's certainly family. appreciate it. Thank you. And, it, and again, that comes down to, again, the sustained attention that I keep talking about, but also meeting these wonderful kids and meeting these heroic families that how do you turn away after right. you, you know, have this attention? But, you know, any advice that I could give to some of these companies, um, small, large, whatever, in regards to community outreach is figure out what works for your company. Figure out what really touches your company. Right. Um, and, and then research it and have that attention toward it so that you, and a focus on it so that you can actually make an impact in that genre. And I think stick to it. I mean, in, in all my years of volunteerism and the number of boards that I've served on, you know, that's one of the biggest things is stick to it. Yeah, right? Make absolutely. a plan and see it out. That's right. Because year one might not be fabulous. Year two, you might build oh a little gosh. momentum. Yeah. But here we are over 20 years over 20 later years. and amazing amazing attendance at these events thank you and we're we're happy we're happy to be able to do it we again we put an incredible amount of effort into it we put a, a lot of money toward it right um and the other advice i think i could give too is start with baby steps you don't have to change the world in a day you know start with baby steps and see what works for this 
this charity partnership or whoever you choose to partner with, right. start with start with some small plans, you know, and see how that goes. And you never know; things might meld and they might not, you right. know. And the, right. there's no it's not like you're signing a contract for five years that says I need to get X, Y, and Z done. Sure. You know, start with the small stuff and see how that works and, and roll yeah. from there. And in our case, again, the digital heart gallery. Um, uh, my fantastic digital communication specialist, Jeremy, uh, who wonderful. works with you, who's actually the producer on this podcast, um, uh, can send it out. Um, you know, it's, it can be emailed. I mean, it's our exchange oh, is so super easy. So for anybody that has that kind of equipment, they're looking for that entry, you know, into this world. That's, that's right. an easy, easy partnership to start with Absolutely. Us. And, it, and that, it's so, I feel that's so impactful, too. The Heart Gallery, like I said, I see so many people stopping and looking at it and reading it. Um, Mayor and Jeremy make it so easy and user-friendly in regards to keeping it updated and current, because that's important, too. I have to tell you, if I'm being fully honest with you, Please do. I shop your stores a lot. I like that. Thank you. Sometimes you're here, and sometimes <laughs> you're not. And I have met families and have handed yeah. out business cards and made connections with families, because families do shop. They do look. It's just, you know, and that's it's just nice. a silent thing going on in the background it's just a nice endorsement of something it's a nice endorsement and for and because of this cause because of foster care adoption let's call it what it is it's intimidating it's a huge decision it's a lot of make. information it's a lot people. to take in that's yes. why even events like we're here this morning i clap my hands and commend every single family that walks in this door on an early sunday morning and whether you talk to one person you talk to five people or you talk to nobody and you just observe Thank you for coming. Absolutely. And, the, and these aren't for everyone. And I should be very, uh, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't say that there are a number of ways to get, you know, involved in this work. Everything from starting at our website, merrink.org, to giving us a call at 617-964-6273. Stop by an event. We have some events that are open to the public, some events that are only open to people who are in process of adopting. Um, but all of that information is available either on the web or by phone call. But there is one other exciting thing that we have coming up, and I thought we should maybe talk about something that that you've got coming up um we have a walk. oh yes all oh, the annual this is the 10th anniversary by the way i know so 10th anniversary we're very happy about this it's, this is our in our Taunton facility Taunton massachusetts facility uh, again because that facility is so large and so conducive for the 10th annual walk run for adoption with mass adoption resource exchange it is on sunday morning may 19th at 10 from 10 to 1 uh, and it start, it's a 5K. You can be a runner. You can be a walker. You can be a stroller. You can be a You can crawler, be an observer. You can be an observer. You can raise money you remotely raise and not money. even That's you can right. be a virtual participant. We'd like you to attend, though. You'd, we do. We do see, want you to attend. We'd love to see your smiling face However, there. However, if you can't. If your there, schedule doesn't allow for exactly. it, you can still help raise money for it. You can still help it. by going to jordanswalkforadoption.org. Uh, or you could attend, again, Taunton, Massachusetts, May 19th, 10 a.m., uh, and it's a 5K, family-friendly walk or run, followed by a very, very funny post-fun, uh, fun and funny post-party that has um, lunch, and we've got entertainment, and oh my gosh. we've got all kinds of inter interaction uh, and activities for kids and families. Can I just tell you, we have families that have been coming to this. They use this as their annual meeting. <laughs> families that met I each other it. at the walk or they the meet audience. up at the walk. Yes. This has I've now become also, a destination. I've also seen photos from our walk run used for future, like, holiday cards and family 
you yes. know, portraits and things like that. I think I it's great. It. And know what's great about that event also is because it's a fundraiser, obviously, but it's also a celebration of foster care adoption. One hundred percent. And we see, and I, I take a walk on the on the walk route the whole that morning too, and it's so nice to observe and listen to the conversations going on with foster families. There, these are adoptive families from foster care who've never met each other and just comparing stories yes. and comparing, you know, their it's experience. Great. Kids playing together Kids who've playing never together. met and walking. Oh, it's a it's big fun. kumbaya group hug thing. I love it's it. Wonderful. It's wonderful. It's a event. great thing. So we'd love for folks to come Good. again for uh, May 19th, Taunton Mass. Yep. Walk Run for Adoption. And uh, Jordan's walkforadoption.org. Jordan's to register site. and or um, send money either way. Great. Well, this has been wonderful, and I appreciate all of your time. And so if folks want more information about Jordan's Furniture, it's yes. social media at Jordan's Furniture. Correct. And the web is at jordans.com. Yes. Right? So jordans.com. Yes. And you can find out all about our partnership with Mayor there and all of our community outreach at jordans.com. Well, great. Well, I know that today is a busy day for you. So thanks it for is. taking the time to speak with me and our audience about all the wonderful work that you do in, in supporting children in foster care. For more information about Mayor, our waiting children, or simply to get more info about how you can get involved, supporting waiting children, please visit us at mayorinc.org or call us at 617-964-6273. This is Joe Sandegato wishing you a wonderful day and thanks for listening. Until next time.